Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In, available on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, from our Santa Monica studios, ready to give you another episode as we gear up for clay court season. The time on the red dirt has begun. Brett Haber, TC original, titan of the company, returns to the show. First time actually on Inside In. We haven't done a podcast in a little bit. We break down all the action from Monte Carlo with Novak Djokovic's return, Sitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, all the heavy hitters. We talk about the absence of Nadal and Alcaraz, what Tiafos win at the U.S. Clay Court Championships in Houston met, as well as Anjabur's triumph on the green stuff in Charleston. We talk a little bit about Haber's new passion off the court. Fun chat with Brett Haber. And then it's time to talk college tennis with Carson Nomadi, a resident college tennis expert at TC. He's got a lot of great inside knowledge of the sport at the collegiate level. And his Twitter account, Parsa Brahms, breaks a lot of the news about where players are committing, transferring, coaching news. We break down the college game and its impact successfully on the pro game as well. First up, it's Brett Haver on Tennis Channel Inside, and clay court season is here. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside, and we have a TC original. This is our second podcast we've done together since... Uh, we've started here first on the TC Inside In brand, but he's the master of ceremonies at the International Tennis Hall of Fame in Rhode Island. He's on the air consistently for Tennis Channel, a top-notch play-by-play guy. Brett Haber, welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In. It's great to be here. I, I enjoyed the beta test version so much that I wanted to come back now that it's official. Did you think that... Uh did you think that as we kind of go forward into the tennis season that your schedule would be kind of ramping up as much as everyone else's? Because we were talking before this, like this has been quite the start to your year and, you know, the tennis calendar just never does slow down. It, it's everybody. I mean, yeah, so March, I think, is our busiest month, even though it lacks a Grand Slam. That Indian Wells, Miami back-to-back is a month of solid tennis with three days off in the middle. And right into the clay with Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome. So, uh, yeah, I, I think my, my gear's usually front-loaded a little mm-hmm. bit, and we go hard through Roland Garros, and then it starts to ease off a little bit. But, I, I mean, listen, I think <laughs> if you ask that question to every one of us that does this, yeah. where, I mean, where else would you rather be? What right. else would you rather be doing? I love every minute of it. It's exciting stuff. And before we go to the next stage, the clay court season, which has actually already started, but the European clay court season, I'm looking at your computer and you got the Maryland colors on the screen. (laughs) So we can start with Tiafo. Francis Tiafo wins the Houston clay court event, which was great by him and everybody involved to even get that tournament played. Second round to the finals within a day with all the rain, but they got it done. They played double each day. And Tiafo wins the tournament just his second in his career, Brett, but also getting up to a career high number 11 in the ranking. It's been that slow progression. We've known he's a star and has that star quality, but the consistency and the work he's done with Wayne Ferreira has just been phenomenal to watch his growth. It's been incredible. First of all, the fact that it's been over five years Mm. since he won his first title, I I kind of forgot that when Mm. I went back and looked. But a couple things happened that week. You mentioned the rain and the way the schedule got condensed. I'm not sure that a two-years-ago version of Francis would have been sort of organized enough to handle the intensity of those 48 hours. Yeah. But he, I mean, look, it's been much discussed. He's taken a much more professional approach to his career. The tandem with Wayne Ferreira, who was an Iron Man and, and sort of a, mm-hmm. a beast in his own right, is clearly paying dividends. And I, I love every, uh, listen, you mentioned mm-hmm. I'm from Maryland. I've got the yeah. crab logo on yeah. my computer. I've known Francis since he's 15 years yeah. old at the JTCC, where i am been involved for a long time. I'm admittedly in the bag for this kid. I think yeah. he is one of the the nicest, most electric personalities that we have in this sport. So to see him right. manifest his potential in this way and to start to maximize now just a hair more than 200 points out of the top 10 
in danger of leapfrogging Taylor Fritz to become the number one American. That's mm. maybe not talked about a lot mm. anymore, but I think that's a big mantle for a player to have. And if he were to get yeah. it here in the spring, I think I just, I'm in the bag for this kid. And I, I just, I'm, I'm loving what he's doing. These guys are all pushing each other. These Americans, which you love to see too. Fritz knows he's got to raise his level. Tommy Paul's in the top 20 and the, and the depth is tremendous. You also got to consider just how, and I don't want to say boring is necessarily like a good or a bad thing, but I watched that tiebreaker against Echeverry, who had a great tournament too. And a couple of those tiebreakers, he's playing smart tennis. He's always had that shot making, but cerebrally, and this is a credit to him and his team, he's playing points a lot smarter in the big moments. And I think that's just a testament to, as you said, his more professional approach and the growth that, you know, not everyone can be Alcaraz and just assume to the top. It's a process. And has been hitting all the right steps. Well, I think from a technical standpoint, and, and maybe I'm the wrong guy as not a former player to, to address this, but I think it's been well documented that his stroke production was was never particularly orthodox, right? The forehand mm -hmm. had a kind of a whippy thing, some extra movements to it. The, the serve, everyone said, was a little too forward-facing, yeah. didn't have enough torque and turn in it. So it seems like one of the reasons that he's playing smarter tennis is that Wayne's got him with a little more margin in his game, Things seem a little less volatile. His top end and his bottom end are not so far apart anymore. A lot more consistency, fewer errors. And he, he seems to understand his game better than he ever did. And that's why he gets through two tie breaks against Echeverry, beats players. Now, every player in that draw that he beat, no offense to the four players that he beat after, he was supposed to win those matches. He was yeah, the top seed in that tournament. Pressure. And I, I love... Yeah. There's something to be said for upset wins and for mm -hmm. knocking off top 10 scalps, but a tournament like that where you're the featured guy yeah. and you rip through a draw, love seeing right. him do that. That's big. Maybe Clay could be where he does the most damage, gives him time to settle under those. But remember you know, Estoril, right? That was yeah. the, the, he, He's like this, this, the <laughs> second son there. Yeah, he, yeah. So he, has, he can play on this oh, stuff, yeah, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And somebody else that can play on the Clay, the green stuff, was on Shibor last week in Charleston. She wins a rematch of last year's final against Belinda Bencic, beats her in straight sets, has the unbelievable hot shot of probably the year, the tweener to get break point when Bencic was serving for the set in the first. I think the bigger thing to me isn't, Brett, that she is able to win this match, and we know she can play well on clay, but she's getting back to full health. It wasn't too long ago, Indian Wells, she was saying that, you know, I'm still banged up. I, I probably should have taken time off, but I just love it here. To see her healthy, first of all, and to see her win, is about as good for the game as you can imagine. I feel about Anz Jabour the way I feel about Francis on the men's side, that she she's such a joy. Yeah, She is the minister of, of happiness, after mm -hmm. all. And I think that it was very difficult for her to not play the Doha-Dubai double, given her heritage, mm -hmm. given what that stretch of the calendar in February means to people in that part of the world. And so I think that may have played a role in her coming back to early a little FOMO for yeah. Indian Wells, Miami. She admitted she shouldn't have. The knee was not 100%. Sure looked 100%. And I love, she's perfectly suited for that green clay in Charleston. The variety yeah. in her game is ideal. And I just like watching her because tennis can be, can be, right? A little homogenous stylistically. Right. Right. Big bangers are ruling the game. She's not no. of that mold, right? She's got all kinds of bags of tricks and variety and subtleties to her game. It's it's fun to watch yeah. something that different. Patterns can be, I guess, repetitive in a certain way, and she plays it so differently. It's so fun to see. And, yeah, her, her style suited. How she approaches the game tactically is great. And, you know, she's got some big results to defend, so it was important for her to get through there. And that tournament, I mean, for a 500-level event, we're getting loaded fields. We got all top four seeds into the semis. I mean, that's about as good as you can imagine. Well, uh, there's a reason that uh, Ben Navarro now owns Cincinnati, and that is because he took what was a small family-run mm -hmm. event in Charleston at an intimate setting, built a state-of-the-art stadium, has drawn the best players of the world to Daniel Island. Yeah. And the USTA could have sold that a lot of different places. They had mm -hmm. a lot of high-net-worth individuals who were making offers on yeah. that. He has proven himself to be a very, not just a shrewd businessman, but a guy who understands the sport, how to bring people in, and he's upped Bob Moran to yeah. oversee both. He's brought in Todd Martin from the Hall of Fame. I think uh, what they've created in Charleston and now will augment in Cincinnati, which was already a brilliant property, yeah. uh, that's why they have the field that they have there.
it's always fun to watch the start of clay season on the women's side in the States and to see that loaded field is phenomenal. Uh, turning ahead to where we are this week, Monte Carlo Masters for the men, maybe the best scenery, tough to beat, how they play out there in that beautiful, beautiful view there. Uh, start with this, Brett Novak Djokovic's return. He has mm -hmm. been admittedly and noticed by a lot of people, been putting time in, gotten a little bigger on his frame. He's only won this tournament twice. It's been since 2015. So there's always that even before the the four sit-outs, the, uh, the uh, frame thing, the rust thing on the clay. But I always felt like he's that engine that takes some time to roll up on the clay. Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to get him, maybe it would be Monte Carlo. Maybe it's Monte Carlo, and maybe it's after six weeks off. And uh, I used the term on social media the other day, his involuntary sabbatical, and I got right. hounded <laughs> by a bunch of people who say, well, it, it wasn't involuntary. He knew what he was doing. Okay, fine, whatever. Right. He didn't want to take the six weeks right. off, but he did. So how did he look against Ivan Gakoff? I, I'm having a hard time deciding if Ivan Gakoff was better than I thought or if Novak was rusty. Yeah. And I think it was a little of both. Yeah. I'm, we're recording this on Wednesday. Yeah. I don't know if by the time it gets released, he will have played Musetti yet. That's a concerning match for mm. me, for him. Uh, second match back after a six-week layoff against a guy who beat Alcaraz on clay last summer. Um, and he lost like what? Zero games today. Exactly. Uh, no offense <laughs> yeah. to Nardi, but uh, I don't know. That does that. That feels like a danger match to me. Does it to you? It does. He's lost early. I remember Dan Evans got him. Was it a year or two ago? That's in right. Monte Clay Carlo. Court Dan Evans. Clay Court Dan Evans. I do think he he's a guy that raises his level and kind of gear up. But Monte Carlo has been the tournament where he started slow, and maybe it is because he's just getting used to match play on this surface. But we know he's we know he's comfortable in this environment, Brett. And that Gakoff match stood out to me because. He's reached that legend stage. I mean, this is a 19-year-old Russian who said, I grew up idolizing him. You know, he's at this stage in the game where he's mid-30, still the standard, but yet reached that legend part. Well, it's also, it's one of those matches where it's a nothing-to-lose match for a guy like Ivan Gakoff. Mm -hmm. He could get double-bageled, and yeah. he'd still get to shake hands with the guy. Novak admitted that he'd never seen him play until mm -hmm. he saw the YouTube video of Gakoff's first-round match the day before against Mackie McDonald. <laughs> He's, that's disconcerting, I guess, even if you're Novak yeah. to play a guy you've never seen before. Uh, he was lefty. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think if he's ever played a lefty on clay before. I'll, I'll have to wrap my through. memory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I mean. I, do you feel like this tournament's been maybe more, I don't want to say, I mean, obviously Nadal's won it a bunch, but there's been more, I guess, throughout the draws, um, upsets, uncertainty, because it's that first big event, because there's opportunity. I mean, Tsitsipas has done well here. No Nadal and Alcaraz in this draw. I feel like if you're going to make an impact, I mean, Fokina lost first round. He was a finalist last year. If there is such a thing as clay court men's tennis parity, it might be here. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair thing to say. I mean, when Rafa's won it 11 times, <laughs> I'm not sure there's been a whole lot of opportunity yeah. for other guys to get in, but there have been, ran, I don't want to say random finalists, but Lajevic makes a final. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Davidovich mm -hmm. Fokina makes a final. Monfils makes a final yeah. one year. I don't know if that was super expected from him. On clay, Vavrinka got his only mm -hmm. Masters 1000 there. Fonini got his only yeah. Masters 1000 there. Yeah, I think in most cases, right, if you have a huge run in the Sunshine Double, you're probably skipping. Right. Or like in Francis's case, yeah. if you make it, it's very difficult to get from Houston <laughs> to, uh, not, not that Francis was going to be a major factor in Monte right. Carlo, but a lot of yeah. the clay court players yeah. traditionally like Houston and can't get over in time or it's tough to make the transition. So yeah, there's some randomness to it. I personally... And I, I think I'm in the minority in this building, in this opinion, and so I'm going to say this carefully. I like it because I like <laughs> the dwindling commodity of the smaller draw 1,000. And I know Madrid and Rome are leaving us right. to the 96 draws and the buys for the 32 seeds. I love this tournament the way it is. I love Cincinnati and Canada the way it is because... Right, it's a 56 draw. You're getting action right you away. You get yeah. monster yeah. matchups right out of the gate. Yeah. And I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I I think I am more with you in that. I, I like him on occasion. I don't know that we needed or wanted more of them. But I mean, it's good that yeah. they're going to be combined events and you get everybody together. Mm -hmm. And I know that's the future of the sport. I'm not fighting City Hall on this. <laughs> I just, yeah. like the first two or three days of Indian Wells, yeah. when there are no seeds play, and that's nice because we get to mm -hmm. feature some second-tier right. players on the big courts, and that's good, right. too. Right. But there's nothing like seeing the one yeah. play the 18. Exactly. Day. 
exactly. two of the tournaments. So. It's crazy. It, it really is. And, you know, the women with Stukart coming up is yep. the prime example of mm-hmm. just how insane that draw is. Uh, I do want to get your thoughts on the upcoming Medvedev. It's going to be going on probably after we post this or in the short time. But they're playing for the 14th time, yeah. which is a pretty high number for two players kind of squarely in their mid-middle 20 ages. Uh, Medvedev, who has become the best, I don't know if he became or always had it in him, the best soundbite in tennis, but you pointed this out on the show, like how he downplays his clay court abilities. Like, I'm not a clay court guy. I kind of hate it out here. I don't expect much. This is somebody that if you took his hard court tennis away and you just stacked up his clay resume, it'd be one of the better ones on the ATP. Guy made the Roland Garros (laughs) quarterfinals in 2021. So uh, right there, Mm -hmm. you know how to play on clay. He made the final of Indian Wells, which is not a clay court, but it's a very slow, hard court that mimics some of the qualities of clay because it's got all that grit in the mix and the bounce comes up. I think it's a combination of him sandbagging, of him taking the pressure off of himself, and I think he's trying to trademark hard court specialist and make a t-shirt out of it. I I honestly think he knows that he knows how to play on clay, and he's he's just so good. Here's the, the hard court stat that knocks me out on him. He has made 28 finals in the last 72 hardcore tournaments that he's played. That goes back like four years. Gosh. So when you're that good on yeah. hard, you're just not as good on everything else. It doesn't mean that he's bad. I can't believe he's won all those titles and you know, they're all different tournaments was the first thing that's 19 out. in it's, 19 different cities. Right? It's crazy. And yeah, it's exactly right. And the fact that it might be a little bit of a tactic, like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not that good. I'm not, you know, don't expect much. It's, in a way, it's like when Nadal was always the most respectful person. Like this person, he's never so been good. the favorite anywhere, Rafa. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited for the match. I think Zverev is somebody that has been getting better. Clay has been such a great surface for him. It's been the combination of getting that match confidence, but also his physical body healing. So that should be a firecracker there. And Zverev has been open about how he thought last year was a golden opportunity for him. So back in the mix is a good thing for the men's game. Yeah, I just am not sure what percentage of full speed Zverev mm. is yet. Chris Eubanks said 90% on TC Live. To me, the win today as we're taping this over Batista mm-hmm. was a big step forward for him. I, I, I've, I say this advisedly because I'm not yeah. a, a top-level athlete. I've done my ankle that bad. <laughs> and I, now when I play tennis, I, I'm never not thinking about mm. it. So I just wonder how much it's in his head, how much it psychologically affects yep. his movement. And whether he can get back, because it, it, it was obviously devastating. We're almost a year removed. And I just don't, I'm curious, right. hopeful, yeah. that when he's truly put to the test in a best of five, that he can physically hold up. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. More with Brett Haber here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, you bring up some good points on Alexander Zverev trying to get back to full health and maybe some of it's psychological. I thought about that a little bit when I was watching Team and Holger Runa play oh, today. My God. It was, look, there's no such thing as a bad loss when you lose to a top 10 player. Yeah. I think for the team side of this first, Brett, he has been inching closer towards progress. It hasn't come as fast as I think mm-hmm. he and we would have liked. He gave Holger a, a decent fight at the end there, but when you watch that match, you watch Dominic team play, are you watching with the prism of what this guy was on clay where yeah. he was the second best player for of years? Of course, yeah. It's it's legit. So first of all, he's a such a great guy. He, he was with us on TC Live during the pandemic by Skype from home in Austria. We got to know him a little bit offline, yeah. and, and he's as accessible and terrific as he appears to be on television, yeah. which was reaffirming. Mm-hmm to watch him during these matches have these battles with himself where mm-hmm. he's talking to himself, he's looking up at the sky, searching for answers. And it, it's almost like he's as puzzled by it yeah. as we are watching him, the Grand Slam champion, three other finals, number two in the world. As you said, the heir apparent to Rafa on the clay. It was mm-hmm. back-to-back Roland Garros finals. How Not, is he going to win Roland Garros? Mm-hmm. How many mm-hmm. is he going to win when Rafa goes away? And now he, he uh, he's four and 10 this year. 
And yeah. I, I guess the part that I don't know is how much is the risk still a factor or is it healed and this is now a confidence thing with him? Yeah, I don't even know what to make of. He said that the rest is feeling better and he's going for more, but you'd like to see that a little more when he's out there knowing, again, what he was able to do. And again, like these draws, like what we were just talking about, you're playing top right, yeah. top right talent away. He had the win in the first round, but... Beat Gasquet, that's Gasquet, yeah. fine. Um, yeah, but these are the matches that he won. I mean, you mentioned those French Open finals that he made. He was going through players like Djokovic to get there. Like, it wasn't like he was just... Lost, lost this year to J.P. Varias, to Tiago Montero, to Christian Garin, to Manorino, to Sonego, mm -hmm. to Canton Alice. Yeah. He doesn't lose any of those matches no. two years ago, three years ago. No. Uh, unfortunate, but again, like, and we've, you've gotten to know him, like a, a stand-up guy and someone well, that we want I mean, to see back in the but game. But don't, like, I feel for him because mm -hmm. he's wearing it on his sleeve. Yeah. And he's just... You can see the anguish. He yeah. knows what he's capable of. We know yeah. what he's capable of, and he cannot manifest it right now. Do you think Holger Runa this year, he went from, I mean, we put the graphic up, 79 in the world to nine in the blink of a year, if that. Do you think this run, this clay court season, is going to be crucial for him to back up that ascent up the ranking? Because if there wasn't that Alcaraz guy, we'd be talking about this ascent being the biggest rising star. Well, say this. He, he has ruffled some feathers. <laughs> Fair. And he could give a shit. Yeah. So... In a way, you kind of like that. Like, he's he's not in it to make friends. He doesn't care if Stan gets pissed at him. He doesn't mind proclaiming that he intends to be part of the next, quote-unquote, big three mm -hmm. with Sinner and Alcaraz, mm -hmm. even though he's never been past the quarterfinal of a major. So that's kind of a bold <laughs> proclamation. But give the guy credit. He, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty meteoric rise. And um, I don't know. I, I, I mean... Paris last year, if that didn't open everybody's eyes, I don't know what else he has to do. He beat five top tens in the state that had never been done. <laughs> no. Never, ever no. in the history of tennis. It seems like he's gotten his fitness up to a higher level because yeah. even in that Djokovic final in three, he was hanging on, and now it does seem like he's more powerful. And I love that him and Stan were, I think, Djokovic peacemaker. Totally, was just getting him to totally. Practice I together. loved it. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, that's cool, right? Yeah. Because it's not a grudge thing. Yeah, it's just the heated moment on the court. They got into it, and they're fine now. Love it. That's what sports should be. Cool. Uh, he's somebody to watch for sure, as well as, and we'll see, he did beat Stan today, Taylor Fritz, the top-ranked American, yep. with Francis fresh on his heels. I know we're kind of, and this is a sports topic, sports take, but we're always looking towards the next big thing, the next thing, who the next guy is. What Taylor Fritz has done for the last year and a half plus, probably two years, is just Brett constantly churn out consistent results here's another impressive uh, win another impressive run he's he's getting towards and i'm just really you talk about professionalism he's been that young guy that's exuberated the most to me i think fritz has been a guy to watch and i think we come sometimes in a way a weird way take him for granted a little bit 46 wins three titles last year gets into the top 10 this year 20 wins already the title in del rey and touches mm -hmm. the top five before losing the points from indian wells yeah. last year he look he was, uh, he was born to do this, right? We know his pedigree, we know his mom, we know his uncle. And he has taken his career very seriously, almost. For, I was there in Memphis, was it 2016? His second career tournament, he yeah. made the final. Surrounds himself with Paul Anacone and Mike Russell yeah. and uh, his fitness trainer, Wolfgang. And he's, from a very early stage, been willing to make an investment in his career. Mm -hmm. He's a super hard worker from everything that I hear from Paul and mm -hmm. the people around him. Um, he, uh, it's funny, everybody talks about the ankle and obviously it was featured on uh, the Netflix series and that was so much drama, he wasn't gonna play that final. I actually was as impressed, if not more impressed, with the year before when he wrenched his knee 100%. at Roland Garros. Yeah, you brought that up. And he goes to Paul in the lot. They take him off on a wheelchair in that one. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'll, I'll be at Wimbledon. Yep. Paul's like, you might be at Wimbledon <laughs> spectating. He goes, it's in three weeks, man. Yeah. Had surgery the next day. It was a scope. And he made the third round yeah. of Wimbledon. That's that Three was... weeks after having knee surgery, this guy is committed yeah. to doing whatever he needs to do to be ready. Yeah, the professional approach is one thing. To have the you know game is another. But you said like the 
the really the desire to want it and go do it and sacrifice everything. And that's just, that's who he is. Born to do this is the perfect way. That's right. I mean, that's been how mom it is. was top 10. Right. Dad was uh, so like, there's nothing fluky about this. Like he's exactly where he should be. And it is looking like a top 10 fringe top five player right now. It's, it's, it's funny there. This sport is so competitive. Can I go like 30,000 feet go here ahead. for a second? I love this sport for 8 million reasons. Yeah. One of them is that, Tennis ball doesn't know how tall you are. Diego Schwartzman's a great player. John Isner's a great player. Yeah. It doesn't know where you come from. It doesn't know what color you are. It doesn't know your socioeconomic background. There are great stories of people who've pulled themselves up by bootstraps. And Francis Tiafo's dad was the maintenance man at the JTCC, and we all know that story. And equally, Jessica Pakula comes from a billionaire family, has no reason, yeah. quote unquote, to work for anything in her life. And I feel like, in a completely different way. I'm just as impressed by the motivation she's found to do what yeah. she's done as I am by some other narratives in the sport. I just love that at its best, tennis is the biggest possible. We're not always at our best, I should right, say. Right. At our best, we're the biggest tent in the world. Everybody's welcome. And the number of stories is limitless and, and they come from every direction. It's really remarkable to see that everybody can, you know, in, in different cases, put forth that time commitment, get rewarded. In Pagula's case, such a late bloomer, had many opportunities to just not say check chuck out, it. but chuck, chuck it. Chuck it, just yeah. hurt. Yeah. Before we wrap up the Monte Carlo discussion, um, we look at guys like Andre Rublev, who have done well here, made a final sits of passes, won it a couple of times. How have they looked on your radar going forward? Rublev is... So close, right? Like he's never gotten that thousand title. It's yeah. gnawing at him. And Sitsipas on the other side, a two-time champion that's kind of, I guess, going through it would be safe to say. Yeah, I think I'm just curious. Again, with him, it seems shoulder-related with Sitsipas. Mm -hmm. and, and it's almost like in that hardcore run, he was guarding because he knew that his mm -hmm. biggest chance to do damage and defend was on the clay. Yeah. So I, I, I'll just be curious to see how, if at all, the shoulder uh, is an issue going towards Roland Garros. For Rublev, we had a, an interesting discussion about him on TC Live yesterday, which is three straight years finishing in the top 10. He's got 12 singles titles now at age 25. There are only 10 active mm. players who have more singles titles than Andre Rublev. And yet, you almost never hear him as part of the discussion of the next guy to win a major under 30 is... It's always either Sinner or whoever or Zverev who doesn't have one yet or Medvedev's yeah. going to win another or I don't, you know. Is even it because he probably hasn't had that big result? Like, But I don't know. Yeah. But, but so neither has Sinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's part of the conversation. Neither has Runa. Right. But you feel like people are. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've, and I feel like he's a, a guy who's done a yeah. great job of managing his game a little better. He was much more error prone, more margin on his ground strokes, um, he, he he hits the living daylights out of the ball. <laughs> I don't know. Is he is he a Grand Slam champion? Hard to say. Well, like I, I, I'm not. I'm, not, yeah. I'm certainly not going to say he's not. I definitely think there's the like how we are. Like Sinner and Rune are younger, so we're giving them chance now. But if they don't win a Grand Rublev's Slam, only 25 though, right? I yeah, mean, I guess. Yeah, I think what I think part of that too, and and I agree, he's made some strides this year in the sense that he's been down in a couple of tight matches in Australia to two Runa down a chant down match, a couple match points. I think he's shown greater maturity and development in his game. All right. But so I'm going to, let me play yeah. a game with you. I know this is your Good. show, yeah, but yeah. I'm going to play. Good. Game. I'm going to give you a name. Tell me if he is more or less likely to win a major than okay, Andre fine. Rublev. Right. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Casper Rude. Less. Less likely than Rublev. Yes. I would say yes. Taylor Fritz. More. Yannick Sinner. More. Sasha Zverev. I'll say less. Interesting. <laughs> Runa. More. Herkoc. Less. Musetti. Less. Hatchinoff. Less. Sitsipas. More. Okay. So we probably disagreed on a few, but maybe not as much as you thought. I, I would, <laughs> Casper Rude is I tough. I would say yes to all of your yeses. Okay. And I would probably add a yes for Rude. Okay. And I would, pro did you say yes to Zverev? No. I would say yes, say to, Zverev. yes to Zverev. Okay. Zverev is the injury, that thing, and I could easily flip on that. Rude is... Zverev was this close? He was. He was. I don't know that he Five, wins... 5-3 in the fifth? Yeah. Well, that. I was saying the clay last year. I don't know that he was going to win that match, but he was right there. Okay. 5-3 in the fifth at the U.S. Open. Yeah. 
as you and Andy Roddick and and, and uh, Chris Eubanks other have said, that is scar tissue. Jim oh, Courier brought sure, it up for sure. So sometimes getting that close. And Casper Rude, I really do thoroughly respect what he does yep. as a clay court player, especially he's so tough. I just think that he's going to have less shots at. So it's funny. I don't, board, I'm yeah. not saying that all those guys are going to win majors. Yeah. I just think that they were those guys might be more okay. likely to win majors than. I don't. I don't. Right. Know. It's, it's a tough one. It's a fun. It's one, got though. a break, right? Though, right? I mean, you got to you got to get a little luck with the draw. We're in a whole new adventure too, because when the big th- when you know Novak's done, Rafa's dwindling. I know. I know. It's going to open up like never before. All right, so can, I'm going to say something that yeah. is also yeah. controversial, but when you think about it, it's maybe not that controversial. Which okay. is, we're never going to have. This is the common wisdom, right? We're never going to have these records are untouchable. Okay. 22, 22, 20. It's untouchable. I don't know. And here's why. We'll never have three like this again. That I agree. But what I'm saying is, what were the odds that in the history of the sport we'd get, and this is for no offense to Pete or Laver, for the sake of this conversation, the three greatest players in the history of the sport have careers that almost mirrored each other Mm. timing-wise. So if that doesn't happen and only one of them exists, if Djokovic exists and Roger and Rafa don't exist, yeah. I'm not saying he wins 65 majors, No, but he could have won 30 or 35. So I'm just saying, yeah, I don't know who it is. That player may not be born yet. Maybe it's Alcaraz. I don't want to hang that on him. But if three guys could win 20 plus, yeah. don't tell me that one guy can't win 25 or 30. It's not impossible. There's a scenario where there's one guy and they get they clear Pete they get to like 17, 18, and then right. that's it because there's nobody, there's nothing else to chase. So in this theory... You mean they already have enough money, they don't need yeah, to... Yeah, oh, and they're not... Because I definitely think all three of them pushed each other to keep going. For sure. That said, if it is one guy, if it is Alcaraz, they are chasing something now. They have they have a benchmark. Yeah. So that's part of what I think... Sure. Would Pete have... And then this is... And I don't know Pete Sampras. I've just been a huge fan of his. But would he have kept going if there was somebody else out there. The only reason I say no to that yeah. is, and that this is not a knock yeah. on Pete. I'm, yeah, I'm a yeah. big, of course, let's not forget Pete oh, yeah. guy. I mean, I grew up in a Greek family. We were Pete heads. <laughs> um, the only reason yeah. I would say no is yeah. that if you remember the end of Pete's career, he won. Oh, two us open. Yeah. He not only hadn't won a slam in mm-hmm. the two preceding years, he hadn't won anything, mm-hmm. a tournament in the two preceding years. Yeah. That was also when he lost at Wimbledon to George Bastel. So he was struggling. Yeah. He brought Anacone back in, and I th- he a little bit caught lightning in a bottle. So I th- I think that Pete, number fourteen, was the yeah, max. That's fair, I, and that might not have been the best example, but you understand what I'm like the totally yeah. But if he, of, it's always easier to chase when you have it. It's like cricket if you know what the other team <laughs> yeah, has after yeah. their innings. I know I just lost America. <laughs> we might cricket. Reference. We're Sorry. good. Uh, a couple more things with Brett Haber before we wrap this up on Tennis Channel Insight, and always a pleasure. Uh, the last thing going into the clay season I got to get your take on is when should we and what should we expect from Nadal and Alcaraz? Two oh different two different players, and the Nadal stuff out coming today wasn't very good. It isn't sounding great in his camp, but I'm just hopeful that we see Nadal at a high level, but what would your take be on that? I don't, I, I honestly don't know, and I, I would never pretend to get inside his his camp, his head, his body. The one thing I know is that I will never, as long as I am alive and in this business and he's alive, I will never write him off on clay. And I know it's bad, sounds not great physically. When he decides he's done, that'll be the day that he's not the favorite at Roland Garros for me. Um, I'm, I'm being, that's a little hyperbole. I work with huh. me, but how, how could you... You're right. Last year he was the third favorite going in, and it seemed outrageous then. And I mean, it is. I'm not the first person to say this, Mm -hmm. so uh, whoever said it first gets the copyright. But I believe it's not just the hardest thing in the history of tennis. I believe it's the hardest thing in the history of sports to beat Rafa Nadal best of five on clay. There's no harder assignment. It's only happened three times out of what 100 and (laughs) almost 120 occasions. Yeah, it would be hard to imagine that he would go in and win Roland Garros on the injury with no, yeah. and we know that, as you mentioned with Djokovic, Rafa even more so yeah. needs a ramp up, needs match play, right. needs reps. But I, I, you write him off at your own peril. Right. So I don't know. With Alcaraz, uh, quarterfinals last year, almost lost in the second round, save match points against Ramos Vignolas, lost to Zverev before Zverev hurt himself. 
I don't know. You tell me what's his best surface. He's good on everything. I mean, he hasn't done anything on grass yet, but I think he will. I mean, I think hard is, but I don't know that it'll always be the rest of his career. Like, and grass is, yeah, grass is like, I'm not doubting. They'll figure, figure it out. Yeah, He'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be a dangerous in every tournament. Last year, he lost to a very informed, probably the best clay court tennis that Zverev had played up to his career at that point. So I don't think there's much shame in that. It is a little, I don't want to say worrisome, but I'm not super pumped that he always has to like take time off. It's like, we want to see him more and more, but I'm hoping this is just a routine checkup. And that, I, I think that is the one, <laughs> that's the one variable right now is that for mm -hmm. a guy who's 19 years old, it's a lot of maintenance. He's had a bunch of different stuff mm -hmm. on his body and man, right. The physical transformation, not this past off season, but the previous was pretty dramatic. You know, they say that it's a big transition for college basketball players who go into the NBA because you're going from playing 30, 35 games a year to playing 82 and then the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if yeah. the transition for him took a toll. And, um, yeah, I hope it's I hope yeah. it's stuff that he gets ironed out and that he becomes as reliable as, as we want him to be. But, look, Rafa went through his career, had a bunch of six-month breaks, mm -hmm. right, where he had to – he yeah. gave so much that he had to – Recover. And Rafa adapted. I think Carl's can learn from that and will learn from that and kind of tweak some things, how he approaches things, how he plays, you know, make sure everything's good. So not as much worried there. Just want to see Rafa out there as much as we can. Before I let you go, a couple other things. Again, congrats on all you've done with the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, man. This year's class, maybe not the biggest names in the in the record book, but Rick Draney and Esther Vergeer, two of the best in their, what they've done. Esther Vergeer, so I've, I've actually had the pleasure of calling a match. 44 slam titles. She is the greatest wheelchair player <laughs> in the history of the sport. Yeah. She is an absolute force of nature, and and I, I get it. Uh, it. It's a tough sell when you don't mm -hmm. have a non-wheelchair player in this mm -hmm. year. All I can say is before July... Look up Esther Vergeer on Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Take a look at her credentials and tell me it isn't worth half an hour yeah. of your time in July to watch her induction into the Hall of Fame. I, I assure you it will be, and she's a fantastic individual. And the other thing I'll say is some pretty decent players have just recently retired and or are going to retire soon. The next decade <laughs> at the Hall of Fame yeah. is going to be <laughs> chock-a-block with superstars from obviously Federer, the Bryans, Serena, whenever Venus retires, we don't yeah. even know. It's, it's going to be so, crazy. We, you know, we, yes, little yeah, yeah. rough patch here. We get to pay homage to a very important part of the sport, wheelchair yeah. tennis, and buckle up because the next decade is going to be unbelievable. Cool. Props to them for sure. I also wonder, Serena and Federer, same class. Is that going to be too big for TV? I, what so, are we? I, so I say this. Yeah. Not knowing. <laughs> I, I am not on the inside of this. Right. I work for the Hall of Fame, right. but I, I am, do not take this as anything. I think there is a way, because Serena played the Open last year and Roger did not play uh -huh. except a doubles match in Labor Cup last year, to separate I their like retirement years. Because I think the language, and I'm, I'm going to get this quote wrong, but the bylaws of the induction thing, I'm paraphrasing, has to be a significant factor, quote-unquote, right. And you could argue that Roger playing one doubles match in Labor's Cup was not, quote-unquote, a significant factor last year. But Serena playing singles, making it to the third round of the U.S. Open, what, there's a lot of ways mm -hmm. to parse that. I think it'd be great if they did not go in together. Mm -hmm. It would also be <laughs> unbelievable magic if they did go in together. Yeah. And who who cares, yeah. right? I mean, we're going to celebrate. I mean, it'd be nice yeah. for them to each have their own right. platform to celebrate to iconic legends yeah. of the sport and if it doesn't work out right. that way we will have a blowout <laughs> in newport like you read about i'm more worried about you uh, you're and everybody else's safety there we're gonna be better yeah, it's, we're bringing in the security no, it's yeah. Yeah, listen it'd be great though it's it's it, just come to newport because the hall of fame is amazing and and if you've never been to newport in the summer it's worth it just by itself well before we go this has been a blast as i said uh also and i know you've said this on the air props again married a buckeye recently <laughs> which we love to see on this end of the table i uh i outkicked my coverage um okay. kim is a double whammy she's a pittsburgh girl mm. and a buckeye okay. grad so uh there's no better salt of the earth than both of those okay. so oh yeah i owe for sure although i mean we had the new year's eve i mean you felt our pain for the first time no no i felt it i felt it many times i mean not that much there's yeah, not there hasn't yeah. been that much pain no. to feel but she did take me 
to I had never been to the shoe. Oh, nice. And she took me to a game a couple of years ago, and I went to a really small school in New Hampshire that barely had <laughs> a football team, and this it was an eye-opener, so... Well, well, that's awesome, and, and the new hobby that I'm hearing—it's been the talk of the building. You're getting, you're getting flying. We're, wait, we're getting wait, the talk of the building. <laughs> it's, honestly, it's spreading. Yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking flying lessons. It's exciting. I, where did that? I guess where did that passion come from? I, it's, it's funny. I'm, uh, I've always wanted to do that, and I'm, I have a five now in the first digit of my age, and. It's funny, you, you, this can't possibly resonate with somebody as young as you, but maybe someone listening <laughs> will. There comes a point where you have to decide, this is like a half a serious comment, but are you done growing? Mm. And I'm super satisfied with my career and I, 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 I love my wife and my kids are healthy, knock wood. I, I don't want to stop learning new things. And I, I love the idea of being bad at something and getting better at it. And I also, I, I got my student pilot's license from the FAA like two weeks ago. I, I carried around like, <laughs> I'm so proud of it, but it's a little bit like play-by-play -play in my head. It, it's so much stimulus, right? It, it's a joke mm -hmm. that someone saw me with a picture with a headset on in the cockpit and they're like, oh, you <laughs> must like wearing a headset. But it's, the, it's, it's 360 degree stimulus. I feel like when I call a tennis match, the action's in front of me, my partner is to my right, the stage manager's to my left. The truck is in my headset. My research is on the desk in front of me. The stats are in the monitor. The Hawkeye stuff is here. Yeah. And it's like, how do you synthesize all that 360-degree stimulus right. around you and make it come out in this cogent narrative? To me, flying's the same thing. It's, you know, the terrain is in front of you. The controls are, at, you know, at your hands and at your feet. You're listening on the radio. You're trying to figure out what to say. You're following the nav. You're watching your fuel. You're watching yeah. the instruments. You're watching for traffic. You're what you know, there's so many things. And so I'm not an expert at it. I'm a student. And yeah. I love, sorry, this, you asked it. Oh, I good. love that process of learning, of being bad and getting better and the increments and the process and diving into the books and videos and all that jazz. If there are pilots out there, they, I guarantee you yeah. they know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and if you're not, it's whatever it is in your life. I tried to play the drums for a while. That was, it's the same thing. I, yeah. I sucked at that. And, but I liked taking the lessons. I liked doing my rudiments. Yeah. I like learning. So I'm a, I'm a, that I don't mind being bad at something. No, that's very inspiring stuff because you've highlighted that you love doing it, but you also just love the process of learning process. something and then discovering even more. Love. And sometimes you might not learn to love it as much but you find something that you want to work on but it's also like the, the great it, it does it can be anything in your yeah. life right and these incremental breakthroughs that you have when yeah. you're learning something new right so i'm you know any pilot will tell you the landings are the toughest thing yeah. when you get so we had a day we had a lesson where we did 10 touch and goes yeah. and like on the ninth one I, it started to make sense wow. and i started to feel they call it seat of the pants flying because you feel and i started to feel when to flare and i started to feel the glide slope yeah. instead of having to look at the pappy lights. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> now I get So like, yeah. it's that, it's that feeling that you, I play tennis. I'm a four Oh, I work in a building with a gazillion grand slam champions. I'm a tennis player by their <laughs> standards. I love to play. I played live ball last night at the club that I belong to. And when I, you know, when you're a four Oh, you hit a bunch of balls in the fence and then sometimes you groove some things and it feels good. When I groove a forehand, I feel like yeah. a million bucks. Yeah. I love, it makes the other nine that I put in the fence mm -hmm. where I love, I just, I like the process. Well, I'm happy that it's been so, such a good experience and you found another passion and it's a lesson out there for not just tennis players, but anybody in their life to just find something, take a chance and learn to grow and learn to experience. Never things. stop learning. Yeah. Don't ever be afraid to, to stop learning and finding something you're not great at. It's uh, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Well, Brett Haber, pleasure as always. It's a true honor for me to talk no, to you on this podcast. Let's do it anytime you want. We will definitely do this again. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Insider. Right on. All right, huge thanks to Brett Haber. It was a true privilege to talk tennis with him. Like I said, Titan of TC, been well established in the game, and very happy that he found his new passion in flying. It's going to be fun to track that progress, but blast to talk tennis with Brett Haber. Hope to do it again soon. Now we leave the pro game for just a minute and go to college tennis with Parson Nometi. He's a college tennis insider, one of the premier voices on Twitter with his Parson Bombs account. He's on the cutting edge of all the news in college tennis. 
but I decided to have him on to talk about the sport he loves, that he covers, how he became an insider in the game, what his thoughts are on the current crop of players, current teams ranked at the top, and where college tennis is going for here with such a positive impact with players having success at the pro level. Here's Parson Nomadi on Tennis Channel Insider. Right now on Tennis Channel Inside In, something a little different. Coworker of mine, Parsa Nomadi. He's Parsa Bombs, all in one word on Twitter. College Game Insider. Parsa, long time coming. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to learn a little bit about college tennis here. Thanks for having me on, Mitch. Pleasure to join you. I know it's not your first podcast. I know you've bounced around on different networks and some on this network and other shows, but uh, I wanted to kind of break it up a little bit. Starting with the college game level, because I think a lot of people, and in, in, I put it in my lane, who follow pro, have kind of seen the last couple of years, the infiltration of some top college players, not just in the game, but doing well. So let's start there. How has the level grown in just the last 10, 15 years? Because I think there's really been a sizable increase in talent, and then that trickling over to the pro game. For sure. You see it, especially on the men's side, the amount of alums we've seen the last five, six years making big jumps. We just had... Chris Eubanks today actually calling matches today at Tennis Channel. What a fantastic rise he's had. Top 85 mm-hmm. now. You got Kovacevic, Brandon Holt, Ben Shelton, obviously. Yeah. You got some of the older stalwarts and John Isner and Steve Johnson. Kevin Anderson recently retired. And then look no further than the doubles game, both men's and women's side. There are just so mm-hmm. many college alums. The skills that they get from playing a whole doubles point every single match of Doubles in each dual match is so valuable. They go on tour, and I hear from a lot of players that are like, yeah, these guys don't know how to play doubles. They simply are just playing mm. singles. Right. And as you see on the women's side, it's even a quicker rise. And there's Americans, foreigners, both both international and foreign players are just thriving, and they're able to make a career. We see Rajiv Ram now top five in doubles after successful singles career and he's now winning yeah. grand slams and doubles so i had a couple things to go off that you raised some really good points one being and i guess we can start here how are these coaches and programs and how have they because they clearly have convinced some of these top players to go the college route where in the past you might have just turned pro and there still is that even with americans and north american players but how are they convincing players that and it's worked out obviously that college is the right option you get to practice every day with 10 fellow elite players who all have the same mindset as you, hopefully if you're going to the right program, you're getting an education. So for a lot of parents, even for Europeans, that's important because they're able to have a backup plan if the pro tennis route doesn't happen for them. They're able to have a degree. degree. You're able to travel all around the country and get matches against elite players. Everything on the woman's side, it's free. So each team gets eight scholarships, full ride. Men's side, it's four and a half. But if you're an elite, elite player that's considering whether to come to pro or college, more than likely you'll be at least on an 80, 90% scholarship. And then you have free training, free nutrition, yeah. free tutors, all these different perks. And now we got NIL, which there are, <laughs> I mean, people wouldn't expect it in tennis, but there are tennis players with yeah. some decent NIL deals. And all these factors help convince the players. And then you even got Diana Schneider, who's at NC State. Oh, yeah. Freshmen, and I know some even opposing coaches who are rivals, they were even kind of happy about it. They're like, low key, this is actually good for us because when I'm talking to a girl that's three, four hundred, what are they going to tell me? They're like, too good. I'm going to be like, Diana's ranked yeah, 85. Be the, be the top 20 player. <laughs> you just be Veronica yeah. Kudermatova, and yeah. you're telling me you're too good. Well, I think, I think too, part of that, like you see how it helps you the pro game with Ben Shelton, has been the talk of the town with the transition. But that match in Australia against Popperin, he was used to that. Like a lot of players further along in their development might not have been able to handle a crowd against you. But he's like, this is no different than playing on the road for Florida. 100%. He's used to raucous atmospheres in Athens and Knoxville. And some people might not like how guys like him and Cressy pump up the crowd and give all these intense fist pumps. And opposing players may think it's personal. I mean, you saw Diana against Sakari, and Sakari was kind of <laughs> getting rattled. Yeah. And although Diana hadn't played a dual match yet, but she's just a young, competitive, just wants to fire herself up. And she had s- seen dual matches. And some of these opposing players are not used to it. They didn't play college tennis. They should take it so personal. But. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And just another that I wanted to go off of, and I'll ask you this. Why do you think some of the players that have had the best pro success weren't even the top players on their team? 
It's not just the one-off, like Jenny Brady makes the final. Isner wasn't the top singles player. You know, obviously there's exceptions, Shelton, obviously. But what is it about the development? Sorondo was another one where these players that maybe not coming in with the best fanfare and not even playing top singles end up peaking later. Cressy's perfect example came yeah. at UCLA. wasn't <laughs> even good enough for top six. Wow. Guy, guy was on the bench. <laughs> even his first year or two when he finally started playing, he was still five or six singles in the lineup. And then yeah. when guys like Mackey and Martin Redlicky, when those guys kind of leave, then he kind of moved up. And There's so much talent on that team, though. Like, it's ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah. And then you look now, Marcos is top 100, Mackey's top 100, Cressy's top 100. And you just see the success these guys have, the development. It's all about mm-hmm. over time developing your game and long term having that kind of success. Because a lot of people didn't think Cressy's serving volley super aggressive. Like, he takes serving volley to another level. Mm-hmm. People didn't think that would work out. They're like, oh, well, they'll get used to it and they'll find his game plan. The guy's 40 in the world. Clearly, mm-hmm. the game plan and his strategy works even when you know what he's going to do. Just <laughs> like if you know Isner or Karlovich are yeah. going to serve bombs, it's still hard to stop. If the guy's serving 135 miles an hour serving volley, it's still tough to handle. Are you surprised as we kind of shift to the landscape of the men's and, and women's team rankings that – you know, when I was, you know, a little younger, California kind of had the stranglehold. Recently, it's been, you know, the SEC doing well. There's still the California schools, but you have the Big Ten in the middle of the country as well with Ohio State, Michigan, men's and women's team doing well. Has that surprised you that, that newer programs have emerged and kind of overtaken in a lot of ways the, the former powers? There's more parity and the advantages of maybe blue bloods historically have kind of waned and you see schools that are in – locations that may not be as attractive as uh, okay no I'm kidding. God. <laughs> where uh, yeah. certain schools are able to utilize different perks and their facilities and their resources and yeah the blue bloods need to step it up there are some uh, teams that are underperforming yeah. under recruiting which is allowed for non-traditional powers to step up and we see kind of on the woman's side the acc's been the top dog, as Texas has won the last two national championships, but ACC's consistently had the most teams in the NCAs. And mm-hmm. on the men's side, you're right, it's been the SEC, and there's four teams in the top ten right now. And, yeah, the West Coast has got to step it up. Pepperline yeah. women have been kind of the top team, along with Stanford on the women's side. Men's side, USC and Stanford, and, but you still have Arizona, who's like a non traditional Additional team that stepped up. Right. San Diego Pepperdine from the West Coast Conference are always dangerous. Um, Bruins historically have had a lot of success. The last few years they've kind of been rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Cal Berkeley just took out both USC and UCLA last week, where maybe 20, 30 years ago, USC, UCLA dominate that conference. But these days it's anything can happen. Sometimes it only really takes one, right? Like a guy like J.J. Wolf comes through Ohio State. That's going to elevate the program. It's going to put them more on the map. Texas with Peyton Stearns, we got to watch play, give Andrescu a heck of a match at Indian Wells. So, yeah, there's there's some good. And Peyton some, just reached yeah. the first WTA final in, down in South America, and you see she could have left after her first year when they won the NCAA team yeah. championship, but she came back and it paid off her, won the NCAA singles, get that wild card, and just gone on a – Great one and great run, and we see now she's rankings in top hundred and sky's the limit. So let's talk about your kind of role in all this. Let's take a step back here, Parsa. You developed was it over time or did it did it happen quickly? How did you become kind of someone that breaks news, breaks stories, and then build up that source network to get the jump on some of these big news? Great question. <laughs> I've been following college tennis for a long time. Grew up kind of in the. USC Dynasty days. Stevie Johnson. Stevie J, exactly. My uh, coach's son was Stevie J, so you're seeing that dynasty develop with the Daniel Wynn days, Raymond Sarmiento, Robert Farah, and you just become like a fan of the sport, and you see up close, wow, this is so cool. Like We could be loud, and we could be cheering, and look at this amazing atmosphere where you go to Wimbledon. I've gone into Wells. Like, yeah, it sounds like you're on <laughs> Tiafo's side of the whole, like you could – See some more noisiness, in right? Tennis. Who do, who doesn't love a, who doesn't <laughs> love a little just intenseness, and especially you go to play a dual match in Athens, and you're like, wow, this is just unbelievable. Like imagine this atmosphere. It felt, it felt like a Masters 1000. You see some of these college atmospheres. And I think it's I, growing because, like you were saying, like it used to be so West Coast dominated. Now that these Midwest and Southern teams are doing better, 
I think those fans, because those, those schools are they're passionate fans, students anyway, they're starting to see how much fun that experience is, whereas opposed to when they were bad, they just weren't going. And you see the resources being put back into these, yeah. fi- these programs. Ohio State has a yeah. beautiful new tennis center named after the current head coach, Ty Tucker Tennis yeah, Center. Hey. So that's a nice <laughs> little flex. Athens is the mecca of college tennis, so they just had a couple matches this past uh, weekend where AD was there. They have the football team. Kirby Smart's there. Almost 3K, 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. And back to your original question, how I kind of got into it. So just over time, I would say going to futures tournaments in Orange County and go to some of these dual matches and over time just meeting coaches and players and then being involved in college tennis with a couple teams and traveling with teams and uh, working in a capacity with them and going to NCAA tournament, All-Americans, all these different dual matches in different cities, kind of building up that network and had my own Twitter account, my main one, but then started a new one, Parsa Bombs, where just strictly for commitments, junior players, transfers, and, you know, there isn't really that kind of avenue, yeah. like that kind of uh, outlet for college tennis. You see, like, college football, college basketball, like one particular team, like a USC or UCLA could have dozens of reporters or bloggers reporting on w- injury reports or, like, this player didn't pl- practice today or this player is transferring here. But it's nice to kind of provide that and for yeah. college tennis kind of just for fun on the side. Got some coaching news in there, too, which is always good, too. Do you remember when it felt like you were kind of, I guess – accepted like you broke a story or you had some eyes on you because i know you're a humble guy but i've seen you know brad gilbert's looking for updates and you got some people in the tennis world that are you know really actively following you out i would say it was actually really cool last month at indian wells i had my tc credential and it said like parson and i was in the green room next to the set and then there was a match on and then Lindsay davenport was there with her husband john and her son jagger and they were chatting and then I like interjected in a comment, like in their conversation. And I think she was like, who's this guy? And she reads my credential. She's like, wait, are you Parsa Bombs? <laughs> like, oh, my son's a big fan. And we ended yeah. up, it was a rain delay. So we ended up chatting for like an hour. And so she'd followed me for a long time. And then more recently, the Parsa Bombs, her son Jagger's top 10 in the country. Oh, yeah. Going to be a, he'll be a big Parsa Bomb. So they, he can't, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can't, they can't talk to coaches yet. Um, so the soonest he can talk is June 15th uh, this summer. And so when you, when you have a junior in the family, uh, tra- right. Yeah. So that was like unbelievable moment. Cause she's a orange County mm-hmm. resident and had big, been a big fan of hers for a long time. And that was just awesome. We were just chatting like an hour just during the rain delay and it was just exchanging stories. Like, wow, this is so cool. I yeah. get to talk to Lindsay Davenport. It shows that it takes time that you really had to build up the trust and everything. And that if you were going <laughs> to burn someone that they would know, and then that would probably be the end of that. But no, it's a cool story that you're, able to become and fill a lane of breaking some news 100 percent. i value a lot loyalty and trust and i feel like i've built up the network off of those values where coaches feel they can trust me and if information is told to me off the record then they'll trust yeah. that um i'm not going to share it even have a big network i'll keep what certain coaches tell me to myself mm-hmm. and when things are able to be shared then i share but for the most part a lot of the information just kept private and stored away and we're poaching the summer where there'll be the coaching carousel. There's already lots and lots of college jobs open and something fascinating also that is new, a third assistant coach that will Ooh. be paid. So that's for first year. It's still very kind of up in the air, but wow. you'll see mid-major head coaches I know are already weighing, do I leave my job where maybe I'm getting paid 50, 60K? Do I then go to like a top five, top 10 team as the third assistant and get paid like 60K? It's, an, uh, it's a risk because you don't know whether that job is going to take you to your desirable job. Maybe you want to be a Power 5 assistant one day or you yeah. want to be Power 5 head coach. Since it's this brand new pathway, it's could, an unknown yeah, it's risk. risk. You could struggle and then it's, you're starting from the ground. Wow, that's fascinating. You have to monitor that one. Uh, I do want to run through a few things before we get you out of here on the rest of uh, your stuff. But the college tennis game, love it don't really love hooking calls. Where are we with kind of like how that culture has gotten? Has it gotten any better? I, I know it's a select few that are really egregious, so I don't want to cast a broad brush there, but it is noticeable. And I thought you being the expert would be the perfect person to talk to about that. We're not too far away from Hawkeye. There's, wow. So that's great news. There, there's a couple of coaches <laughs> I've talked to where they've secured funding and they're weighing 
um, the cost. It is expensive, but they were like, it would be worth it for us, especially to kind of be the first few teams to do it, which would just be incredible. Like I remember when we first had Playsite come in and have live streaming, and then you can also, that's also good for scouting because you could store the matches and teams watch yeah. that for film. But to have Hawkeye would just be incredible. And if it's six courts, wow. um, 12 courts, maybe pushing it just budget-wise, mm-hmm. but like at least get it on six. Because like you mentioned, it, it is a pretty big problem, and it becomes mainstream where like a couple calls go viral on Twitter, and we have everyone kind of tuning in and giving their two cents. The way it works is three overrules yeah. becomes point penalty, four game, five default, and you never want to get... Yeah get to that and there are a lot of kids where it's i mean you play tennis we've all played where it's just sometimes you make a bad call but when it's repetitive and when gotcha, it's that yeah. egregious like you mentioned it's not good for the sport oh. and it just comes down to sportsmanship and there are some coaches that do overrule their players their own players but at the end of the day it's like you're in a three three dual match mm, it's all over the five place. on the third <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it just comes down to it but you still want to play clean you want to co- coaches want to win with accountability and with good intentions and good integrity. Well, that's good. That's actually great news to hear. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, just looking at the current landscape, and I'll just toss over to you. We got, what, TCU, Ohio State? Are they 1-2 right now in the men? Texas, Ohio State, Texas, TCU. Texas, Ohio State, TCU. Okay, so I saw the, the rough outline. might have been a few weeks ago, but South Carolina, Michigan are in there. Uh, and then the kid from, was it Elliott's Missouri? Is he the number one guy right now? Yeah, so Spaziri is fascinating where he's been slicing. He's the last year and a half. He's been Number one player, huh? <laughs> he has left wrist is injured. So, the I mean, it's amazing. You watch him play, and he's still beating up on everybody. Le- he's slicing, kind of like a Stevie J, but he doesn't have the option to hit a two-hander. Like, at least right. Stevie J could hit a two-hander. Um, credit to him. We got Ethan Quinn, who just won another SEC freshman of the week award at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Who's speaking of Georgia, they got Alex Mickelson, who's... 275 in the world right now signed with georgia and he is a freshman he would be slated to join in the fall where he's still to go so i guess my question i just want to also point out usc was the first cali team that i saw in the mixer and i saw columbia doing well which is uh pretty good for a you know one of the higher academic schools to be for sure harvard 15 (laughs) columbia 11 and they just actually opened up brand new 50 million dollar facility columbia where Beautiful six indoor courts, massive locker rooms, and the outdoor courts aren't quite ready yet, but the six <laughs> outdoor courts are on the roof. Whoa. <laughs> on the roof. Wow. It's like it a helipad almost? Yeah, it like, looks wow. incredible, and they've made sure all the guidelines fit okay. ATP dimensions, where the goal is in the future to host Not an a little dangerous tournament. if you're on the outer courts, like, well, I might fall off. <laughs> no. Well, that's exciting. Um, I guess my question just for the guys would be, is there, a, is there any player or a group of players that you're thinking for the next level, they might not be as higher up, but you're kind of monitoring, like they've shown some stuff to where they're going to be a force in the pros? You got plenty of options. You go, for example, uh, Andrew Fenty just received 100000 from Universal Tennis, like a right. grant. Yeah. That's a nice investment. You got players at TCU, like Jack Pennington Jones was around top 500 ATP, decided right. to come to college. Luke Famba, big Frenchman at TCU, serves bombs indoors. Spazier, we touched on. Yeah. Uh, Johannes Monday at Tennessee oh. just lost only a second match of the Saw whole that, season. Yeah. Tennessee, big, your alma mater, Tennessee. <laughs> and when they made their run, what was it the semis last year? They were the only team to make two straight semis. And were they all Australians or just most of them? <laughs> yeah, no, but they've, it was had, they've had an Aussie great on recruiting. the team. Yeah. yeah, Aussie on the team <laughs> every year since about either 86 or 87. So they de- yeah. definitely got that pipeline there. So the women's game, and I just want to mention, you know, the names at the top, North Carolina, A&M's up there, Michigan again, Georgia, even Pepperdine, as you mentioned. Uh, how good is Fiona Crowley? Because I keep hearing about her, number one player on the number one team. Yeah, m- besides that match last week versus <laughs> Cornet and Charleston, she's just been unbelievable. And the, the whole UNC team, they haven't lost a dual match this season from top to bottom. It's just unreal depth. Coach Calvis has done a great job recruiting primarily all American players. A and M's been unbelievable as well, dominating the SEC. They've kind of took over from Georgia as the top dog in the SEC, and then yeah, the Big Ten. Um, Ohio State dropped a few spots, but so Michigan's still up there. Duke has uh, got some good grant grad transfers in there, along with some of their own homegrown talent, mm-hmm. along with the Wolfpacker right there. I mean, with a healthy team that has Diana there. Obviously, yeah. last week they didn't have reverse UNC because she was busy playing Paula Bedosa in Charleston. 
but from that's another team that can compete. Yeah. Pepperdine, as you mentioned, it's a lot of parity. You still got the two-time defending national champs. You got some other teams like Stanford that are still dangerous. So it's going to be a fun NCAs in Lake Nona. Can't wait to see it. Uh, Parson Ramadi here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Two last things quickly. One being, do you think we see a, the streak end? Are you going to call your shot? We'll have a major champ that played college tennis. We've been pretty close. Had some finalists. I mean, why not? We've. Uh, I think of the women's game, it's going to happen. Like, yeah. I think it will. Grand Slam singles champ. I mean, Danielle Collins was close. Jen Brady was close. Jen's actually, she's on the comeback trail. She's rehabbing. So hopefully Kevin Anderson was close twice. Yeah, Kevin. So, yeah, we'll, hopefully we can get that. I mean, we've had plenty in doubles, yeah. at least. So yeah. like, we can brag about that. Mixed okay. doubles and men's doubles. Yeah. Between, like, Skupski, Desiree, a former Sun Devil, I mean, Salisbury, we didn't, even, we didn't even talk about him. Cam Norrie was another example of somebody that played oh, college. Yeah, there we I mean, go. That's your guy. Well, <laughs> we, we, we can ride Cam <laughs> and at, at Wimbledon. Uh, last thing, if you had to pick one setting, if you're talking to the listeners out there, college game, maybe a couple, what matchup, what facility to go to, and maybe what, if you picked your dream matchup, like this is as good as college tennis gets. Athens is when it's a good Georgia team. It's just an unbelievable atmosphere. Then they renovate the facility a few years ago. Unbelievable there. A, Baylor, a good Baylor team the last few years, they've been really good, and they get a really great crowd so like at Georgia, Tennis Center. So like Georgia, Florida, then Baylor, Texas, like would just be? Uh, Georgia versus anybody that's wow. like Ooh, decent is like an unbelievable atmosphere. Florida, Tennessee, the last four or five years <laughs> might be the best rivalry. And I I, you may think I'm biased, but that is <laughs> unbelievable. Just yeah. so much the beef and the bitterness that makes for in Gainesville or Knoxville. All the Texas teams, Florida, uh, Texas, TCU, wow. or Baylor, Texas. Love it. And uh, Ohio State, Michigan, that's always a great rivalry. So. Of course, yeah. Well, Parse, this has been a blast. Love learning about college tennis. You're our guy now. You're our official expert on the show. So whenever something cool slash scandalous happens, I'm going to have to call you up. But follow me on Twitter. Parcel Bombs, one word. Parcel Amati, thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks, Mitch. That's it for this week's show. Thanks to Brett Haber and thanks to Parson Amati. Tennis Channel Inside In podcast can always be found on the Tennis.com website by just going to Tennis.com slash podcast. We're available on all your podcast platforms as well. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, just a few of the many that we are available on. We're back next week. More tennis to discuss in the clay court season. We'll have Barcelona action for the men as they go from Monte Carlo to the clay in Spain for that 500 event. And the WTA in Stuttgart is a loaded field every year in Germany. That's going to be a blast. Can't wait to break all that down. For Brett Haber and Parson Amedi, my name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to Tennis Channel Inside In. And I'll talk to you next week.